0: In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I sit down with Melissa merrick Melissa was the founding executive director and CEO of the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board in Washington, D.C. from 1994 to 2011. In 2012, Melissa joined Educational Assessment Leader ACT as an executive leader for the Workforce Development Division. She then took on the role of vice president of social impact in ACT's Center for Equity and Learning. Melissa currently serves on the board of directors for the American Institute for the History of Pharmacy. Her contributions to pharmacy have been recognized by Drake University, who honored her with the Weaver Medal. Melissa and I talk about her journey into pharmacy, including her career start that involved working in 52 Walgreens stores in her first year. We explore the importance of mentorship and paying it forward as a way of paying it back. We discuss Melissa's drive to encourage more women leaders and we dig into the fascinating story of Zeta Cooper. Zeta was the first woman to graduate from the University of Iowa's College of Pharmacy in 1897. It was great having Melissa on the podcast. I thank her for her time and insights, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Melissa, thanks so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. If you don't mind, could you uh, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Well, Matt, thank you for having me. And I really love the concept of the Iowa Idea Podcast, and I'm super excited today to be with all of you. Uh, A little bit about my background. I grew up in Joliet, Illinois, and I always had an interest in science and math. And we had a family friend who was a community pharmacist. And so that seemed very interesting to me. And so I uh, decided to pursue um, pharmacy in college. I went to Drake University. And when I was at Drake, I really got exposed to kind of a common theme in my career about seizing opportunities and doing new and big things. So um, right before I wrapped up my last year, I went out and did an internship with the pharmaceutical industry on the East Coast and really met some people that exposed me to some opportunities that I thought would be really cool for my career. Um, I did work for Walgreens, and many of you, our listeners, are familiar with Walgreens, and I did that for a year. And during that year, I worked in 52 stores. And so, as you can imagine, um, working in 52 stores, I really learned a lot about different patient populations, and as a new pharmacist, working with different teams. At that time, um, my interest in pharmacy technicians really Um, was sparked because a good pharmacy technician could make or break your day. I then went out, um, I made what I would call kind of a life-changing decision where I decided to do a one-year residency and go out to Washington, D.C. to work for the American Pharmaceutical Association, which is very similar to the American Medical Association for Physicians. And I had this hands-on training where I rotated through all areas of the association. So I learned about policy. I learned about meetings. I learned about advocacy um, and really, really enjoyed that. And Matt, I thought I'd stay there for a year. And you know, the Beltway bug um, bit me. And so I stayed out in DC then for um, 21 years. And during that time, I was the founding CEO of the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board and really sparked my interest in assessment and in learning and competencies. And so how qualified pharmacy technicians could help pharmacists make a difference in patient care. And I grew that program to several hundred thousand pharmacy technicians um, had such great joy in being able to travel the country and meet with pharmacists and policymakers um, who are working on patient care and protecting the public. And then I was also at that time, served as president of the Institute for Credentialing Excellence, so really was exposed to assessment and testing for really all professions, for nursing, for pharmacy, um, for mechanics. I mean, if they do certification, I was the volunteer leader for that group. And then I had the opportunity to come home and to move back to the Midwest. I was recruited by ACT, the testing company, and you and I share our ACT experience in common. And so, yeah, ACT um, had a, was growing their team and looking for some transformational leaders. And so I came on board to work in our workforce division and um, did that for a few years and then moved into a senior leadership role in our Center for Equity and Learning. And so worked in that area for a few years, really promoting the need for equity and education, which I'm passionate about, especially as a first generation college graduate. And then in the last couple of years, I've been doing consulting, and I can talk to you a little bit more about that in healthcare, and um, also do quite a bit with the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy. So that's kind of it in a nutshell.
0: That's, no, that's great. There's a there's a lot I want to cover. A, a couple things I, I want to dig in on is uh, one, the logistics of your year at Walgreens. You said you worked at fifty two stores.
1: I did. I did. Was,
0: was it a store a week? How did, how did, how did that? No.
1: Um, so they had this system at the time, which they don't have anymore, which I have to say from a resilience and um, kind of training uh, it's better. It's more humanistic, but yeah. we would call in to a just dis- kind of a dispatcher and we would say, where are we going today? And so she would, we, she would fill in and I had a certain mile radius. It was typically, Within an hour's drive, and so you would either find out the night before, the morning, and so, in those, in that year-long that I did that, um, some it was different each day, and then others. What's interesting is I did cover someone's maternity leave, medical leave, and so I was there for like two and a half, three months, and so you know, not every store was different each week, but you really learn depending on you know if you were in a city or if you were in a suburb. It was a very different experience, but then also consistent because, you know, it's the same, it's the same organization. But um, yeah, it was, I have to say, doing that really taught me um, patience, it taught me about working with different people, and it, it really taught me to be open to new experiences. And when I was going through it, it was super hard. Um, And I will tell you that I cried sometimes on the way home or the way there, because there was so much newness each each time I did it. But I also, I think when you do something like that, that's hard, you also build confidence. And so, you know, in, in the end, it was very helpful and really great experience.
0: Thanks. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about was that kind of that cognitive load of you know just going to a different store different location and uh, not not being able to kind of rely on a, a gen- like the same routine, even on how you're getting to work to me sounds like it, it could be kind of stressful. Yes. Another question uh, that I want to dig into—if uh, I—if I heard you correctly, too—that basically a pharmacy technician can kind of make or break your day or make or break the process. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Sure, because if you think about when you're in a busy community pharmacy, there's kind of so much going on. And so, you know, if, if you have qualified technical personnel that are able to help with the intake of the prescriptions, that are able to call, you know, right now with insurance companies, there's such challenges whether something's covered or not, or whether we have a medication in stock or not. And so the pharmacy technicians can really help the pharmacist with those kinds of activities. They also really help with, you um, workflow, and preparing the prescriptions. I mean, the final check is done by the pharmacist, but you really want the pharmacist to be able to look at your medication and look at your overall profile and see if it interacts. And if they're busy, you know, on the phone with an insurance company, or if they're doing something with an order, that takes away from it. And, you know, as we get ready for flu season, which is coming up, um, we're going to be having more um, patients that are going to be going to pharmacies for immunizations. And we're sorting all that out and so having pharmacy technicians a part of that is really really helpful and really important
0: and and then with what you did you you then basically led a certification effort so they and just kind of playing my mental model out so then pharmacy technician certification then there's this portable credential so that you you kind of had an idea what they could do
1: exactly exactly and when i came on board There had been state certification programs, um, and about 24 states either participated in a um, Michigan certification program or the Illinois Council of Health System pharmacists. But kind of a key component in my career has been bringing groups together, and so we had four national organizations um, that came together, and then there were two state groups and we created then a national credential that was portable as you said which was really really important and then over the years um when i was the founding ceo um, and executive director we actually grew so that then certifications pharmacy technicians um, were recognized in regulations with by state boards of pharmacy and their roles and responsibilities Increased um, during that time. And so, you know, that just has made such a difference for patient safety. It's made a big difference, too. Um, One of the things that we learned early on is that if pharmacy technicians were certified, they were more likely to stay, that retention of pharmacy technicians made a difference. And, you know, you touched on this in your questions to me about, you know, when I floated from store to store. If you didn't know who you were going to be working next to, that was hard. And so, you know, I think once um, the PTCB certification program was put in place and there was greater continuity with retention and you understood, you know, that people were going to stick around for a little bit, that made a big difference.
0: Great. Thank you. Uh, Before we kind of dig into – some of the consulting that you'd mentioned that you're, you're doing now and some of the some of your current projects, just following up on some of the pharmacy elements. Uh, in doing some of my research too, I saw in 2010, you uh, received the Weaver Medal from Drake.
1: I, I did, I did.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and let the listeners know what that represents?
1: Sure, so the Weaver Medal is named for Dee and Larry Weaver. And they've endowed this medal and it's the highest honor from the College of Pharmacy. And they endowed it at Drake University. They also have one at University of Minnesota and then they have one out in Utah. And those are all schools that Larry either went to school, he went to Drake, or he was Dean at one of those schools. He was Dean at Minnesota. And I have to tell you, Matt, that when I learned that I was going to be the Weaver Medal Medalist, um, I was really shocked and so humbled and so honored and that when i got the call the dean um at the time had called to, to tell me and she had set up and we started talking and i thought she was calling to ask for money you know because often when you when you when you hear from your school you know it's related to oh could you help us with whatever the width is yeah. and so you know she mentioned that they had done the weaver selection process and i'm just listening like oh she's just making conversation And what's especially meaningful to me is I was the youngest um, Weaver medalist by a significant number of years, and only at that time, the second woman to receive it from Drake. They, They since have had a couple other women receive it, which I'm really thrilled about. But for me and in my career, and I mentioned that I'm a first generation college graduate, I think it's really important to show up and to be an example and so i always go back um to the weaver lecture um series and i had to give a you know one hour lecture about a meaningful topic related to the profession of pharmacy but so that students and residents could say hey if she could do that if melissa could do that what could i do Um, i'm also honored i got to know both larry and d weaver larry has since passed away but they were very nice to me earlier, early in my career, like answering questions and just being inclusive. And last year, I did something really fun related to the Weaver Medal is a colleague of mine and a friend that I've known for many years was receiving it in Minnesota. And this is in the before times when we could travel and go to things. Um, So I reached out to her and I said, Hey, I want to come to cheer you on because I remember how important it was to have family and friends, you know, who had been with you on your career journey, and how significant the Weaver ceremony was and so she was super excited but the folks in minnesota were so thrilled that a weaver medalist from another school came they asked if i had brought my medal and i have to tell you i don't run around with it so i didn't have my medal with me but what was really cool is i interacted with the dean and then a few weeks later drake university had their weaver medal ceremony and so they had done some outreach to minnesota And then a couple of the Minnesota recipients came down to Drake's in Des Moines. So, you know, you just sort of never know where um, connections are gonna be made and where synergy, but to me, that's really one of my proudest um, moments to receive that recognition, but then also to be able to hopefully inspire others that, you know, if she did that, what could I do?
0: Yeah, thank you. I really really appreciate you sharing that and I know uh, it fits with two kind of two big themes for you are mentorship and paying it back. Uh, If you don't mind digging in on why those are so important to you.
1: Yeah. You know, I think mentorship and especially like, gosh, right now, Matt, you and I are talking and it's August and it's topsy turvy times, you know, times like no other. Right. And so I think having mentors or advisors or coaches or sponsors you know there's all different ways that we could Mm -hmm. what we could call them but i think having people in your life that take the time to um advise and encourage um i also think a theme in my career and a theme that i try to do in my mentorship is to just encourage people to pursue opportunities and to take risks and so you know last week i spoke um via zoom not face to face but um Pharmacy students came back to campus at University of Iowa College of Pharmacy, and so I did a Zoom session as part of leadership and on professional engagement. And one of the messages I shared was the importance of seeking out internships, like going to live in a different place, you know, interacting with different cultures, trying things, and you know, you may not decide that that's the path you want to take, but your your boy, you're going to learn so so much from it. So, you know, for me, I think about the people. There were people early in my career, Matt, who saw something in me. They saw this spark, and it was even before I saw it myself. And sometimes they saw a dream or an opportunity, like even the, when I went out and did the residency um, in D.C. or when I applied for certain things, like they're like, you can do it and you can go for it. And so I try to do the same now. I um, pay it forward where you know I reach out to students. And actually, last year, there was a student that I got to know through professional engagement. And I took her for coffee and we were at Java house and, you know, we were catching up and she got kind of teary and I was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she said, I can't believe we're here. And I can't believe you're like talking to me about my, you know, rotations and what I'm going to do next. And I said, you know, Lupe, someone did it for me and they saw it in me and you're going to do it. You're going to do it for someone else. And so, and I also, you know, a key thing about mentorship, and I know you, you have experienced this too with interns. Oh my gosh, we learned so much. Like mm-hmm. I, I learned so much about, you know, we had some interns this summer, whether it be, you know, their social media presence, or just some of the things that they're working on or trying. And um, I don't know, so I would say that it goes both ways. But I think, especially in these tough times, especially in these unprecedented things, if we can Connect with people. For me, connection is kind of a common theme in my career and really a value that my family has instilled in me. And then I think the idea of paying it forward and generosity and giving it back. You know, I was a student on scholarship and had some loans, and I just think about those times. So, you know, now when I'm able to help others, and you know, what I said to students last week is, It can be a small thing like you don't have to, you know, you might think, oh, I have loans right now or I'm too busy or I can't really do anything to help. But you could text someone, you know, just kind of see how they're doing. You could, um, you know, run if you're running to the store, you could pick up something for someone else so that they don't have to do it. So, you know, these don't have to be like momentous, big things. But then down the road, if you have the opportunity to do a big thing, you know, you should make sure you take it, take advantage of it.
0: Thank you. And kind of related to that a little bit too, I know that also other topics that are important for our our leadership, but especially encouraging women leaders. Do you mind talking about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, in my career, um, I've done some things, especially, you know, things that were recognized through the Weaver Medal Honor, being the founding CEO of the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board. And I was hired for that position at 28. And so You know, leadership is important and I was a young leader. The other thing that's interesting and um, if you and I were, and I can share this with you too as a follow-up, but um, I was the only woman on the Board of Governors when I was hired in 1994. And I was the only woman on the Board of Governors when I left 17 years later. And I often share pictures uh, and I really didn't talk about that very much at first um, and But then when I came to Iowa and started meeting with students more, you know, they were like, tell us more about that, what you did, because it kind of just, it was, you know, it was my experience. And I think in the last few years, the more examples we can give and encourage more women to be at the table or just greater diversity. I'm a very big fan of diversity and inclusion. Right. And um, so, yeah, I talk about it and I, I want to encourage more leaders. And I also want the tables, the spaces to reflect America, you know, to re and and in pharmacy school, our demographics are 65% of pharmacy students are women, uh, I mean, of, of, um, in the profession, but then in, in the, in the um, colleges, incoming students, it's even, you know, greater, it can be a greater percentage. And, and in pharmacy technician field, there were many more women than men, but what we don't see, there's still a gap between women serving as deans, um, chief of pharmacy, you know, head of chain pharmacy, et cetera. So I think we need to continue to have examples out there. I'm super supportive though of men and you know, I want more male leaders too. And so you know, I mentor both men and women, but probably about a year and a half ago, I was at a local event and there was um, eight speakers, Matt. And of those eight speakers there was one woman. And you know, you sit there and you're like, okay. And you look out the, you know, in the audience, there were probably a couple hundred of us there. And it was a very diverse audience, male and female, maybe 50, 50. And so I was like, they couldn't find more than one woman. You know, so I just really try to be the voice of saying, you know, how might we, or who else could we include? And it's really something that I love that you're doing in the Iowa idea, and that you're trying to find these stories and i think through people being exposed to the stories then they look at things in a different way and then they think about like well who's in my sphere i mean one thing that i've tried to do this summer especially when we have have had all the civil unrest and racial injustice is to try to learn in different ways and so you know i've tried to follow some new groups in my instagram feed and so that i'm not always seeing and hearing the same things and that's been really interesting to me. So again, I see that a component of leadership is how do you open your space, open your eyes. And then I always try to um, pull people up to the path. You know, Michelle Obama talks a lot about that in becoming, and in some of her other materials is, you know, how do we just encourage opportunities for others?
0: Thanks. Yeah. And that, that encouraging, and I think to your point, even being explicit about it, I know, one one example for me, and this was playing off of the kind of tech startup joke. But I remember somebody tell me, uh, you know, that, and it's a joke in in that like, <laughs> not in a good way, right? But to to t- shine a light on it. But in a tech startup, you're 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 more likely to have more guys named Steve than women in your startup. Right. And it was just yeah. that, that it's in, it's because part of that is the lack of diversity and everybody going to the kind of the, the same area and I won't mention the conference, but I was asked to facilitate uh, a, uh, basically an, an entrepreneur tech startup kind of panel discussion. And when they showed me who the panelists were, I said that, that I won't, you have to, you have to get at least one non-white male person on this panel um, and and they did and and we had the panel and it was great but it's, it's even some of these small things where it just continues to reflect where I was m- reminded at Capella uh, when I was doing brand work for Capella is the power of in an educational process somebody to see like a grown version of them somebody that looks like
1: yes them. yes
0: right and and so when when you're trying to positively engage uh, and support more uh, safe spaces, more diverse spaces, when, when you don't see people that look like you, it's hard to, it's hard to believe that institution cares about you or can support you. And so I I really do appreciate the work that you're doing to, to make a more inclusive uh, table all around.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I tried to think too, um, what can I do within my sphere of influence and, you know, You and I, we live in Iowa. And so we know that this is not one of the most diverse states. And so it's a challenge, I think, sometimes, but a challenge that I've posed to myself is how can I expand um, Our pool or our outreach and what other sources can I look to, you know, whatever that means and whatever that looks like and to not You know, when you mentioned about the panel that you were asked to facilitate and things like that, like, I bet at one meeting it was brought up and someone may have been like, it's okay, or we don't really have to work on it. And, you know, so what I've challenged myself and and encouraged others that I work with to say, no, how can we do better? And how can we work now to increase the pool, the um, the pipeline? And then also think through of, are there underlying systems in place why someone, Wouldn't want to be a part of it or wouldn't feel welcome, you know, and what does that look like? And that's an even deeper question. But I do think that helps to see, too. um, But you're so right. And, you know, last year I had the opportunity to speak at um, University of Iowa for a a legislative and policy and advocacy class, and it was during um, first generation week and I think it was actually first generation day. And I decided, and, you know, this was kind of a thing, you know, you and I both given a lot of presentations. And so I was going over my notes and I thought, oh, you know, I had seen someone tweet earlier in the day about first generation day. So I'm like, I should say that, you know, I'm first generation to graduate college, that my parents had some college, but weren't able to finish. And um, a student came up to me after Matt and she had tears in her eyes and she thanked me and she said, I can't believe you said it. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's part of my journey, but it, it made me realize that the more vulnerable we can be and share it. And so she could, she could see, you know, that, um, and that's why I do try to talk about, you know, the scholarships and, you know, parts of my journey and why they were so important and they made me who I am today, but I also think talking about it, um, is helpful. And I just, I, you know, I was so humbled that she came up and talked to me after it just made a big difference.
0: Thanks Uh, for this portion of of the podcast. I'll I'll turn it into a choose your own adventure. There's two topics I want to dig into but want to see which one you might want to go with first. Uh, So I want to follow up on what you're doing with consulting. uh, But I also want to talk to you about the work that you're doing uh, regarding Zeta Cooper and telling that story a little bit any any preference on which direction we go.
1: You know, let's do Zeta first and then we could do the consulting um, because they relate, but they're different. Um,
0: Awesome. Yeah. If you don't mind telling people, uh, providing a little background on Zeta Cooper.
1: Sure. So, you know, when I was out in D.C., I was familiar and I had heard of this um, pharmacy icon, pharmacy pioneer called Zeta Mary Cooper because she's featured in like as a women in pharmacy legacy leader. She's kind of one of 12 or 15 people that are really considered significant. But I didn't know that much about her. And when I came here back to the Midwest and in Iowa City, I learned more about her story. And she um, graduated from pharmacy school in 1897. And she was one of two people, two women in her class. So that alone was like very interesting to me, especially thinking about my own journey and being, you know, the only woman on the board of governors and things like that. And then I learned more about, um, she was the first female tenured pharmacy professor anywhere across the country. So I was super proud, you know, being from Iowa that we have that claim to fame. And then she was very innovative. And so, you know, I have that innovation, mm-hmm. entrepreneurial spirit. And so I was like, well, that's really cool. And she um, founded a couple different pharmacy organizations and she was very inclusive and really ahead of her time. And she loved history. So. I thought to myself, we need to do some more things to kind of honor her and celebrate her. And so I think a story to share that's really like kind of based on the Iowa idea um, is I set up a meeting with the dean at the college, Don Latender, and I've known him for many, many years. And I said, you know, we need to do something to celebrate Zeta. Um, what do you think? And he said, sure, go for it. And so from that, just that lunch that we had, and we we also had lunch with Sarah Gardial, who at the time was dean of the Tippie College of Business. They were doing something with women in business and women in leadership. And so, from that, we decided that we were going to launch this inaugural um, Zeta Cooper Leadership Symposium, and we've that was we've now had five. So, uh, and it is a, a annual seminar where we bring in national leaders, uh, many with ties to University of Iowa, or um, Zeta-like attributes. And so we bring these national leaders in and they talk about their career journey or they talk talk about big topics. We have working groups where we have breakout sessions. And it's really an opportunity for a male and female. And I'm really proud to say that about 30% of our attendees are men. But what's different about it, and I think it's really important, Matt, is that we spent um, time ensuring that our panels were all women because we know, as you and I have talked about, that there's often panels where there's no women or there's one woman. So, right. um, you know, our keynotes have all done that. And what it's done is it's just empowered and encouraged um, both our students, a student pharmacist and our residents, and also practitioners to like look at things in a new way. And so, you know, I'm super proud to have been part of that. And then we did two other things that were kind of cool related to Zeta is we did create um, three years ago Zeta Cooper Leadership Awards and so we kind of took the seminar to the next level related to execution and so we recognize two Farm D professional students who are living like Zeta where they're mentoring others they're doing really innovative things they're in leadership roles and then two graduate students and so what's been really cool is several of them said you know hey I attended the conference and from that like one applied to one of the top residency programs across the country so you know, like Zeta, I think a characteristic that I have is like this grit or moxie to like go for it. And I think we've instilled that in our students. And then the final thing related, I mean, there's many, many things with Zeta and yeah, I could just yeah. talk forever about her. But um, I think a cool thing to share with your listeners it, related to the Iowa idea is, you know, pharmacy was getting ready to do a new building and Don Dean Don Latender did a phenomenal job. You know, he visited with pharmacists in every county across the state. And he, um, you know, worked with getting funding. And it's, it's the largest, like, kind of state-of-the-art, it's the most accessible College of Pharmacy. It, and it just opened in February. And so I can't wait till we can yeah. all, like, be back there in large groups and things like that. But um, I said to Don, we need to honor Zeta in the building. And he's like, yeah, we should do that. And so a group of us came together and we created, there's a there's these pods, which are kind of like interactive student groups and they have physical spaces. There's four different pods named for like foundational figures with the College of Pharmacy. And so there were like three or four of us that first came together and we said, let's raise some money. And so we all put in a certain amount of money and then we started reaching out to other people. And I'm super proud to tell you that we raised $250,000 now. And you know, what's funny about it is once we started and then others heard about it, they're like, I'm in, I want to raise money. I want to be part of the Zeta thing. And so, and we were almost to our goal and we were at a meeting about a year and a half ago. And so we were probably 10 K short of our goal. And I gave an update and I will tell you this like just makes my day. But there was a um, pharmacist leader who was attending the presentation. And after she went up to the foundation representative and she said, I'm in. And she donated just based on my update, you know, what we were talking about with the space. The space wasn't even open yet. And so she gave. And so, you know, I think a message to share with your listeners is that it's sometimes just an idea and you don't really even know what it's going to look like, but right. you can get others to buy in and they're behind it. And then, like, you know, this was, Don and I had lunch, I guess, six years ago. But since then, we've just had so much growth. And we're this legacy of this woman who was just so brave. In eighteen ninety seven. It's all kind of come off after that.
0: That's great. Yeah, I, I really I love I love the story, I love the arc, and congratulations to you and the team on getting that money raised.
1: Well, it was a lot of fun and you know, last week I had they were in that pod and there were people this their students who are in the Zeta Cooper Pod and I had um a picture take i had them take a picture and send it to me and then i shared it with everyone who's been part of our fundraising group and i just said look this is it in action because you know when we first did it and talked about it it was like blueprints you know and and now the building's done and, and to see students actually in the space is pretty remarkable
0: that's great so now if you don't mind what uh, what are you doing on the consulting side these days
1: yeah i'm doing consulting related to in pharmacy and healthcare. And then a a lot with my assessment background and testing background, you know, things that I did at ACT or um, things that I did when I was in DC with PTCB. And I'm also uh, a part of my husband in the last few years has done a technology startup related to customer experience and they've shifted into healthcare and patient experience. So I've been a healthcare advisor with John and JourneyMap and that's been really, really interesting, you know, looking at patient experience and what that looks like. And this summer I worked um, closely with John, we had three summer interns um, through the JPEG program. And thank you, you served as a speaker for yeah. um, our interns this summer. Yep. And um, that's been a very interesting experience.
0: That's great. Um, yeah, on, the, on the, the patient side, you know, one of the things that I find interesting from a design and customer experience side too in healthcare is the amount of individual things that are built that get put into an ecosystem that really aren't designed to connect yeah. to other things. And one of uh, some some work I was doing, it was mostly related to uh, kind of more of a, a kind of a nurse experience uh, related to patient, patient machines, devices, and... Uh, just the amount of beeps and noises and alerts that are all from different products or services that uh, they're all supposed to either let you know it's working or let you know that there is a problem. But uh, one of the challenges is that it become, it essentially just becomes white noise in the background. Yeah. And uh, just one of the things I'm interested in is, is on that healthcare side, how to design a more effective system as a whole rather than the these it's like it's almost i feel like it's people are a lot of people are trying to develop a one-off app and it works great does what it's supposed to and we see it in education with teachers as well as that one app works but it doesn't work the same way another one does and and after a while you know people have 20 plus systems that they have to log into to get their work done and the amount of energy that is and mental load that's spent on on those things that aren't even the core of their job become fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think the time that we're in right now, um, the time of COVID and how so many things are different. Also, that really provides opportunity where, you know, where can we build on when someone's having a really good experience and things are working well. And, you know, I think it's very exciting to see how much telehealth has been used in the last couple months. Um, I mean, it's kind of unprecedented in numbers. Yeah, right? And, you know, and then also, like in pharmacy, that pharmacists are such accessible providers, and HHS just gave authorization for pharmacists to do more immunizations. So, you know, it's like, what can the opportunities be? And then I think also understanding, like, what are the pain points? Because when you know, like, when someone really doesn't like something and it can be Mm -hmm. for various reasons or their experience is just, you know, they're on hold too long. Or, you know, I think a lot about this when we lived in Um, D.C. D.C. is such a congested D.C., Virginia, Maryland, such a congested area. And so I always had to think through about where was I going to park? You know, like, was there parking? Would I have to sit in the car? And that really helped um, drive a lot of my consumer decisions. And so it's funny because even now, I mean the parking like that we deal with now is nothing compared to that but there are you know there are like i would go to a place where it's just easier to park and so you know that and that could make someone inform a decision like i'm not going to look for this service because you know there's other factors so i i think understanding the bigger picture you know is is just a really really good good thing and very important
0: thanks one of the big topics and we we kind of covered it a little bit with mentorship, but one of the big topics and themes for for this podcast is the idea of um, kind of advice and related to mentorship. So I'm curious from your perspective, what's some good advice from mentors you received early in your career? And then also another notion of advice is, I'm, and I steal this from Austin Kleon's uh, book, Steal Like an Artist, but a lot of times when we're giving advice, we're talking to our younger self, it's usually something we wish we would have known. Uh, but if you don't mind kind of covering both those areas, maybe some good uh, advice you received from mentors and also uh, some advice you have that you wish you would have known earlier in your career.
1: Yeah, um, I think really good advice I had from mentors was seize the opportunities, you know, take the risks, go for it. And so like apply, you know, apply for the the, Internship, move to a different area. um, I would encourage you to try things that are hard. You know, I I kind of thrive on pushing and doing things that maybe someone hasn't done before. So I think that's really, really helpful. Um, I think the idea of having a growth mindset and, you know, even if something doesn't work out, um, what can I learn from it? What can I grow? Um, How can I grow from it? And, you know, that to me is so important, especially right now, because it feels like each day is different and you know we think things are going to be a certain way and then it's like okay well maybe we're going to try this so i think the idea of a growth mindset is really really important um what i wish i would have known earlier and i talked a little bit about this last week with the students you know now i think there's a much greater focus on well-being and you've you've talked about this on some of your earlier podcasts which i really think is cool and i'm glad that you have um I know that in my 20s um, and even when I was in school, I just pushed myself like really hard and um, didn't always eat well or exercise, you know, and, and um, also at PTCB, I traveled a lot. And so I would just kind of emphasize the idea of taking care of yourself and building in time for exercise and, you know, now I journal and I pray and I, I meditate. I've started mindfulness since I've lived in Iowa. I, I wish that I had known about mindfulness when I was in school. Um, but I also, you know, shared with students, even though I, I'm, I love mindfulness, um, I think about that when I first heard about it, it was way too woo-woo for me. I was like, and I couldn't get my brain to slow down. Like I would, at mm-hmm. the end of a yoga class, I would sit there and think what do I need to do next? Where you know what I was always go go go. And so, you know, it's okay to be to start where you are and then move forward. But I think having well-being practices, having strong relationships are really important. And so, you know, I would just I the whole emotional intelligence, you know, taking care of your physical health, your mental health is really really important and um I think doing that before, you know, I think there's a lot of people who waited until like, then they're sick or there was a crisis or, you know, something like bad happens where I'm really pleased to see many Gen Z students that I know, they, tr- they it's like part of who they are and they do see it as an important component. And I think for all of us, even though when, you know, the stay home times happened, everything was disrupted. The idea of trying to figure out what is your routine And how do you kind of bring that well-being into that kind of new system, new normal that we're at right now?
0: Thanks. And I want to dig in a little bit with uh, uh, mindfulness. As you said that, um, you know, it was something new for you. But what does mindfulness look like to you?
1: Well, I um, was fortunate that I was able to go through an MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, that the University of Iowa Um, offered and I have to tell you what I thought mindfulness looked for me, Matt, was that I was going to be a super mindful, super mindfulness (laughs) practice person. You know what I mean? That I was going to be so good at it because I am goal oriented and what's funny and I'm smiling really big right now. It doesn't work like that at all. And what I later learned is mindfulness is really being present and kind of, um, being in the moment and taking time. And so I do try to practice um, every day in the mornings. In the last several months, um, one of the pharmacy organizations I belong to is they have a partnership with Headspace. So I have Headspace um, as part of my membership and I've been using that on my phone. Um, That I found was really good. Um, I kind of liked the gamification, you know, the tracking of how many minutes I'd meditated and stuff like that. But I did have to then, put my phone down after to not like start checking Instagram or, you know, text, texting with my friends. But for me, mindfulness is like, let it be, be present. Um, It's a practice though. And so, you know, I do think it's helped me to not be so reactive to stuff like when stuff happens um, to just be like, it is what it is, but it has, I'm so grateful you know that i learned what i did through mbsr and there's all kinds of, there's other programs or there's things you can do online or things with apps and i very much also like um the 10 percent happier i really like the and we can maybe link to that the work that dan harris has done through his books and you know they have an app and a, a pot they have a series of podcasts that i think are really good so you know for me just learning more um i am so like left brain analytical go 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 that doing more stuff that's creative, more zen, more right brain, slowing down has been really, really good for me.
0: That's great. Thank, yeah, and thanks for for helping me understand that as well. Uh, are there any topics we didn't cover today that you thought we might on the Iowa idea?
1: You know, um, I don't think so. It would just be re- to reinforce that, like living the idea, Iowa idea can mean all kinds of things but that we should be so grateful the roots that we've come up from you know the city of literature the writers workshop you know the science and technology the people that i mentioned like zeta cooper that there's such possibility and so among us today there's people who are living the iowa idea and that are going to come up in the future with it and you know i'm just grateful to be a part of it And i'm grateful that you've done this podcast because i think it's exposing people to really cool things
0: Thanks. I I appreciate that. And Melissa, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on here and uh, taking time out of your day to to speak with us. So thanks for uh, sharing your gifts and your wisdom. It's very much appreciated.
1: Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it.